Week one, new series, Resurrection Stories. Uh, you are going to have an opportunity at the end of my time with you uh, to hear Christine's uh, resurrection story, uh, and you'll be blessed uh, to hear uh, much more of her personal journey in her life. Uh, resurrection stories, the old is gone, the new is come. That's a tagline from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come. Uh, question for us to consider as we begin this six-week series. If Jesus Christ, I told you I was gonna start preaching in one minute, so here we go. We're just, there's no like, there's no intro. We're just gonna get into it. Y'all ready? We ready? Okay. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we should embrace all that he said. Don't you think? Like, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. I am the Son of God. I'm gonna die, and three days later, I'm gonna rise again. If he literally rose from the dead, we should embrace all that he said. If he did not rise, then we should not consider anything that he said. And so life's most important question, did Jesus Christ raise from the dead? One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and not a really well-known book that he wrote, uh, but still a C.S. Lewis work called God in the Dock. And he makes this statement in that book. Uh, when we come to the story of the resurrection, we come to the strangest story of all. You must accept or reject the story. Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 15, if our hope in Christ is only, is only for this life. We are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, hallelujah. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. The first of many who will have resurrection stories. The resurrection of Jesus is at the very, very center of Christian faith and theology. The resurrection is the essential of all the essentials. The scriptures testify that after the cross of Calvary, in between the time Jesus died and that he rose 40 days later on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, uh, the scriptures, the gospels testify that he appeared alive again no less than 10 times after his death. It was a, a course of over uh, 40 days and he appeared again and again and again. Uh, he appeared at the empty tomb. He appeared in the upper room. He appeared back up in Galilee and then back down again in Jerusalem. In one moment, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, in one moment in time, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. They, they saw him alive and more than 500 uh, people. We're gonna go on a journey over the next six weeks in this, in this story. This is the chronology of the resurrection stories that we will 
journey through. And then we're going to hear some of our own resurrection stories because God is still resurrecting. Amen? He is still transforming lives, and we'll get to hear from a number of people in our church family um, these stories. And so these stories and our own personal resurrection stories, uh, I hope and pray, will strengthen our faith and give us very, very specific reasons for the hope that we have. And if you are struggling to hold on to hope in this season of your life, my hope, my prayer is that in this series, hope will become something that will grow in your life and that you will get more rooted in hope perhaps than you've ever been in your life. One essential area of evidence that Jesus rose from the grave are the personal testimonies of the people that saw him after he raised. Jewish history tells us that every disciple, all 11, not including Judas, we know that story, that all 11 disciples died a martyr's death for testifying that Jesus was alive. Commentator that I read this week, people will not die for their religious beliefs if they know that their religious beliefs are false. Radically changed lives of these people and our people uh, give us, I believe, solid testimony of the truth that Jesus is alive among us. Um, Here's what the apostle John spoke about his eyewitness Like, I am an eyewitness to these things. And he wrote his first letter, 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. I am an eyewitness. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. And we proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship or so that you may also believe that Jesus is alive. Peter, his letter, we, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. And I bear testimony of the truth of that. Peter, John, disciples. Uh, We're going to talk about two resurrection stories today, uh, kind of a two-part message, if you will. And the first one is a story from Matthew 27 that is, it's honestly, it's pretty, uh, it's not well-known, it's less known. It's, it's I don't think we talk about it much at all. It was in a reading last, last year on Good Friday, and I'm literally, someone's up here reading the passage that I told them to read. And I was like, Oh, snap, I don't think, if I knew that, I forgot that. And it's that at the moment that Jesus died, tombs were opened in Jerusalem, and people walked out of those things. We're going to read that story. You're like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Well, now you do, because we're going to read it. We're going to talk about it. And then the second is Mary at the empty tomb, John chapter 20. So, um, if you have your Bibles and you want to look at Matthew 27, we'll, we'll, we'll read this together. I'm going to walk through this in three little parts. Uh, let me read first uh, 
50 and 51, uh, the crucifixion was monumental, monumental. There was the, 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 the power of God was, was, was so palpable on the earth the moment that Jesus uh, dies. Uh, and there are uh, really two like incredibly significant supernatural events that happened uh, right in that moment. Verse 50, Matthew 27 uh, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Uh, when John is telling the story in John 19, he tells us what Jesus said right before he gave up his spirit. And he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit, verse 51. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. Uh, perhaps, perhaps to symbolize, perhaps to symbolize uh, God himself uh, acting from heaven in the supernatural moment, tearing the curtain from top to bottom in the temple. There was an area in the temple that separated the most holy place from the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's very presence was. And if you know any of the story of the Old Covenant era, uh, there was a, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, how many times a year? One time a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would offer sacrifices in there for Israel to, put, to, to cover sin. Uh, Jewish history tells us this. We don't know this from the scripture, uh, but I've read some Jewish history on this, and they would tie a rope around that high priest uh, leg when he went in there. You know why they would do that? Because if he dropped dead while he was in there, they would drag his rear end out of there because they weren't going to go in there because only the high priest could go in there. And at that moment, this curtain tore. Uh, we don't know how thick the curtain tore, but again, Jewish history, uh, thick as a man's hand, it would take 300 priests to manipulate the curtain. It separated the holy place from the most holy place, the very presence of God. Jesus gives up his spirit, and the curtain from top to bottom removing the barrier from the holiness of God and the sin of humanity, the blood of Jesus opening the way for the people of God to have full access into the holy of holies and the inbreaking of the new covenant by the blood of Jesus means this, that not only do we have access into the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies comes into our lives by the spirit of grace, the spirit of Jesus himself. The supernatural truth that was happening in the moment of Jesus dying is so, so huge. The implications are huge. The old covenant of law is now over. No more temple, no more sacrifices, no more priests. Why no more sacrifices? Because the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 10, was one sacrifice for all time for all people. Hallelujah. And the blood of Jesus inaugurates the new covenant of grace. Big, huge, massive implications. Miraculous curtain tearing. Well, at that same moment, something else was happening. It is finished. Jesus gives up his spirit. 
The curtain's tearing. Well, as the curtain is tearing, there is something else happening around Jerusalem. Verse 52 and 53. The earth shook and the rocks split. Verse 51, verse 52. The tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Uh, Having faith in the message of Jesus, having Christian faith requires, requires you to believe in the supernatural, miraculous things of God. Would you agree with that? And what we just read is miraculous, supernatural things happening on the earth the moment that Jesus gives up his spirit. It's unreal what, what, the, what was happening as this, as this, what the author of Hebrews says happened, that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And so as that is happening Tombs are breaking opening, and people are, are walking out, to which I just go, what the what? I mean, that's what, I, that's what I have written in bold in italics in my notes. What the what, right? Question mark. Am I the only one? What a wild resurrection story. Some of you, some of you perhaps didn't even know this story was in the Bible. Well, it is. It's not really spoken about, and we don't, honestly, we don't have any other details. I wish I could tell you more. I wish I could tell you more. Uh, We just don't have any more details on on it, other than the fact that the authoritative, inspired, inerrant word of God is telling you that it happened on the earth the moment Jesus died. Forceful earthquake, tombs break open in Palestine. And after Jesus' own resurrection, they went and appeared in the holy city. You're at the Passover feast. You're a Jewish 12-year-old kid. You're at the Passover feast. It's been wild in Jerusalem. All these things have happened. You're like, you're, you're pretty unsure about everything. And like six months ago, you were at the service of Uncle Bob. And he walks in the door. And you're like, what the What? But the story, the resurrection story, is that they walked out of the tombs and they appeared to people. That's the testimony of the scripture. Pretty mysterious text for sure, but pretty awesome. They appeared to many people. The phrase appeared to many is a key phrase. And Matthew seems to go out of his way to tell anyone who is listening, emphasizing that the scene of the resurrection, the supernatural things that were occurring, had many eyewitnesses. The next verses, 54 to 56, when the Roman centurion and those, plural, those with him who were guarding Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified Rightfully so. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. 
Verse 55, many women were there. They were watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John. Those women who were watching, following, I just go, man, those, those courageous, faithful women were there seeing all these things transpire. Resurrection story one. Next resurrection story of the morning, Mary, one of those courageous, faithful women at the tomb, really famous uh, passage of scripture from John chapter 20. I invite you to turn to John 20 with me as we work through this resurrection story, uh, and then we'll hear Christine's resurrection story. So Mary is there, and this is, this is the story that transpired. This is a really, really fun story to work through. Uh, we're going to have, have some fun with this. this it's incredible. So early, early on, the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Sunday morning dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. <gasps> oh no, oh no, oh no. Because in her mind, she's like, somebody has taken Jesus. So she's like, she is fully in her grief. And now she's got probably a state, like there's fear, there's panic, she's totally, totally emotionally overwhelmed. She shows up Sunday morning, the tune is removed, and so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. John is speaking about himself, calling himself the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And, he, and, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So unsure, afraid, panicked, grief, she sees it, she runs to wherever Peter and John are. We don't really know why it was Peter and John and not the other 11, but it's Peter and John. And so she tells him, and so Peter and the other disciple, they started for the tomb and both were running. So we got, I mean, we got a lot of running going on. I mean, we got... And, you know, just, you're just charged up, right? You're just charged up, emotionally charged up. You're just, she's running. <sighs> They're running. And then, and then John paints this, this remarkable scene. He really does a good job of really painting the story of the running. There's just, there's, I don't know if they were in shape or, or you know, or I, I don't know. I'm just saying that John tells us, how, there's a lot about running here. A lot about running. So they're running. They start running. But the other disciple, and John calls himself the other disciple, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's right. Like, I kind of, yeah. It's like, I, you know, he made a point to let everybody know that. <laughs> and so he been over like, I, the, the, the one whom Jesus, I mean, I, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. And I outran Peter. <laughs> so just so we're clear on that. Just so we're clear on that. You know? I actually think it's pretty amazing that he describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I would invite you 
to describe Jesus that way as you speak that over your own life. I believe that John knew that he knew that he knew that Jesus really, really, really loved him. And so he described himself that way. I don't think it was arrogance. I think the running thing might be a little competitive between him and Peter. Like, maybe, but I'm not sure. I think the love thing was just his identity, so rooted in the love of God. He bent over and he looked at the strips of linen there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, by the way, if you miss it in verse six, I'm gonna tell you again, I got there first. I, I didn't go in. No, he was behind me. Peter was behind me. He, yeah, he went in. And I wonder sometimes, like, you know, like after Jesus ascended back, you know, he ascended to heaven, the Mount of Olives, and, and there, you know, they have the calling to be witnesses to, uh, the, you know, the great commission is given to them, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, and they're sitting around a campfire, and they're rehashing this story, you know, and Peter, Peter comes up, he's like, yeah, you, you got there, bro, and you didn't even go in, man, and he's like, well, yeah, maybe true, but I outran you. No, let's not forget that. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can just, I mean, these are guys, you know, like they're, they're buddies, they're best friends, and there's just, there's camaraderie around that stuff, and we chirp at each other. I mean, I like to chirp at my friend Steve Dell over there. I mean, I like to chirp at him, you know. It's just, it's just, I just think that's part of it. I think, I think we're getting a window into the humanity, really, of them telling this story. I don't know. I just, I, I, I really enjoy this story. Thanks for having fun with me on it. I'm just reading the Bible here. Uh, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linens. Verse 8, I think a, a moment of humility for John. Uh, finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, <laughs> also went inside. Yes, I went in after Peter, but let me just tell you a third time. I got there first, everyone. And he saw, John says this about it, and he saw, I saw, and believed. But then he writes this parenthetical thing in verse 9 they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And I just go, how many times in your life have you believed? And, 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 and it's just, there was this moment in church or in the mountains or, or, or somewhere in your life, you're like, oh, God is so real. And then another time in your life, I'm just like, I forget the promises of God and I struggle with, with doubt and I'm not totally sure. And then I, you know, I just, anybody else in the room is that, like, I just... Like he saw and he believed, but then he writes, he's like, but we were still struggling with understanding the scriptures. Jesus had told them over and over and over again, like, I'm gonna die and three days later, I'm gonna raise again. And so I'm believing this. It's like, it's like that prayer from, is it the Roman centurion? Like, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. You know, it's just all this emotion, all this faith, all this doubt, all these things are happening in this moment. I just go, Mary Magdalene, she was there alone. Did you catch that in the story? It was just her. And I just go, where were all, where were all the male disciples? 
Where were they? What were they doing? Like, guys, I'm telling you again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna race. It was only Mary. It was only Mary. She was the only one there. It was day three. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on the book of John, the Gospel of John, he says this, the church is down to one person on this morning. It was Mary. She runs to Peter and John. Emotions are running off the charts high. Peter is an interesting choice, by the way. Would you agree? I mean, the guy didn't have a stellar weekend. You know what I mean? Like three different times, you were with him. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 you're one of the disciples. Yeah, yeah, I saw you. No, 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 not me, not me. I mean, dodging, weaving, hiding fear. You know what I'm saying? Like, not a stellar weekend for Peter. Let's just be honest about that. So it's like, man, that's an interesting Choice. Perhaps Mary didn't know that Peter had denied Jesus publicly three times. Perhaps she saw Peter and John as the lead disciples. Perhaps the other nine were up in the upper room and John and Peter were outside like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they were the first that she saw. So she told them, like, we just, we don't know, but it was Peter and John and they're running and everybody's running and you know, after all of the, I got there first, and Peter went inside, and I, after all that, it's like, it just John simply says this about himself, like, he saw and he believed. He saw, he saw, and he believed. The birth of Christian faith told so simply, like the, like the birth, the beginning of New Covenant Christianity told so simply, he saw he believed. They leave. He saw he believed. We're still doubting. I still don't understand, like all those things. And they went back to their homes, those two disciples. Verse 11, but Mary didn't go back. She stood outside the tomb crying. She wept. Overwhelming grief. And she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they, they have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they, they have put him. Like she thinks that somebody stole the body of Christ. So she's explaining this to this supernatural revelation of these two angels in the tomb I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And it says, thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell him where you put him and I will get him. Like she literally looks at Jesus. She's like, you did it. You took him away. And these tombs are carved out of the side of a cliff. There ain't a whole lot of room in there. And so she's like looking into the tomb. There's two angels 
and Jesus comes up behind her, which I just think, that's an interesting thing. Who are you looking for? You know, Jesus is like, who are you looking for, Mary? She doesn't recognize him. And she thinks that he's a gardener, and perhaps that he was the one that took him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And at that moment, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead, go instead to my brothers, go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. Um, I, I believe that it is significant that the first resurrection appearance of Jesus was to a woman in her grief. Like, she was in grief, she was weeping. The prophecies of the Messiah, spoken about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, Isaiah 53, said this about Jesus, Messiah. He, he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The, the first appearance of Jesus being alive was a supernatural appearance to comfort someone, a woman, in her grief. The God of all comfort, the God of all grace, Mary in her grief, to a woman in her grief. Verse 16, she turned around toward him and saw him, but she thought he was the gardener and like, kind of be like, what'd you do with him? And now she... She didn't see with spiritual eyes. Um, it's interesting. You know what Jesus said in John 10? He said, the good shepherd knows his sheep, and he calls them by name, and his sheep know his, anyone know? His voice. So it's not until Jesus said her name, so tender, so relational, so personal, Mary. We looked at this statement last week. I want to put it up again. The world rolled over from B.C. to A.D. when Jesus called Mary by her name in a garden at the break of day. Everything has now changed. Anything is now possible. So she sees Jesus, Rabboni, teacher, it's the Lord. And Jesus does what he does every time we have interaction. The invitation of Jesus, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and follow me, come and follow me. And when people see and they follow and they believe, Jesus, when, when a person meets Jesus, it is always followed with a mission. Like as soon as she sees the Lord, immediately he gives her the mission. And it's this. Go and tell. Go and tell. 
the message of Jesus being alive is the mission. And the mission is the message that Jesus is alive. The message is the mission. The mission is the message. And immediately Jesus is like, go and tell, go and tell. And so she does. And Mary is the first gospel preacher that Jesus is alive. So that's, that's just a statement. That's just, that's just a real statement, right? Like the first gospel proclaimer preacher was Mary. And she said these simple words. I've seen the Lord. And if her announcement is true, church, we have a gospel. And it is true. Everything has now changed, right, Victor? Yes, sir. Anything is now possible, right, Victor? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got to baptize Victor right here last Sunday morning, man. He gave a testimony of the power of God to change a life. These are the resurrection stories. Everything is now changed. Anything is now possible. These are our resurrection stories. Uh, Christine, come and share yours with us. Worship team, come on back up as well. My mentor taught me in college that your testimony is the gospel. It's the good news, like the gospel according to Mark, gospel according to John, and this is the gospel according to Christine. Uh, it starts pretty early. I was raised in a Christian home with loving Christian parents. We went to church. My family was really involved. I think I gave my life to Christ 20 times by the time I was six. And one, because... It was genuine, but also it's something for a six-year-old to do when you're sitting at big church every week. Does anybody else remember the little envelopes with the check boxes? Need prayer, give your life to Jesus. <laughs> uh, if they were tracking conversions, I really messed it up. Uh, but even though I was raised in this bubble of protection and love by my parents, we live in a world where we have free choice and the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, we all have the ability to do good and evil, and it can be done to us. So by the time I was a young adult, there was a wake of destruction behind me. There was tomb after tomb, grave after grave, uh, childhood sexual abuse, my father's alcoholism, um, divorce, and spiritual abuse by a Christian mentor. But the real tomb in my life was hope. My hope had died a series of progressive deaths. I had frequent anxiety attacks. I was severely depressed. I was self-harming. And ultimately, I was suicidal. I thought, if this is what life looks like, I'm done. I don't want this. And I loved God. And I believed in heaven. And I just wanted to go home. Tozer said, what a man believes about God is the most important thing about him because it influences how we make our decisions 
and it will shape the course of our lives. I believe Christ's victory was true, but it was for eternity. I did not understand how the victory of the cross was for me now on this side of heaven. I knew God was all-powerful. I knew that he was omnipresent and everywhere and in everything, and I knew he was all-loving, but that maybe he just didn't love me enough to stop everything that had happened to me. I saw people who had joy, who had experienced healing. They had these amazing relationships with God, and it was everything that I wanted, but I couldn't seem to find for myself. I reasoned that maybe I just needed to make myself worthy of God's attention. So I became a super Christian. I had the bracelet, I had the t-shirt, I had the chacos and the Nalgene and the Young Life Giant Fanny Pack. I had four hour quiet times every day. I went to every church service I could get to. I led uh, ministries and I went to the most dark, dangerous places I could find to share the gospel in hopes that it might just splash back over onto me. And they're good things. God did not waste those things. I saw amazing things happen that I cannot unsee. I knew firsthand the power of God. I saw demons flee in Jesus' name. I saw people healed. I began to know just how present God was because when we would pray, we would see specific and direct answers to our prayer. One of my favorite stories, and I already shared this at the women's retreat, um, is when I was at home at night and I was praying over a specific situation that was really important. And I needed to know if something that someone was telling me was true or not. And I was like, God, I just, I need to know. Like, is this, can I believe this person or not? And my roommate, who was in the room, rolled over in her sleep and said, true. She never woke up. She had no idea what she said, but God spoke through her, and God was listening to me, is what I heard. We do not have a God who is blind, deaf, or dumb. We have a living God, and I got to experience that firsthand. But what I still didn't know was the all-loving God that I'd been looking for in all of my striving, and I felt like a failure. My faith had failed me. And everything that I could do for God was not enough. And in God's sovereignty and his goodness, he let all my efforts fail. I could not achieve his love. And when I finally gave up trying to earn his love and attention and approval, that's when I was able to receive it. It turns out Jesus wasn't in the tomb I was looking into. I was the one in the tomb. Grace is what introduced me to the all-loving God, the God I longed for. Grace is what healed my heart and my mind from all the years of abuse. Grace called me out of that tomb, and that's why we're at this church. Abuse is not my story. Alcoholism is not my story. Depression and anxiety are not my story. Instantaneous deliverance from self-harm is my story. Restored relationship with my father is my story. No more anxiety. No more night terrors. No more flashbacks. My story is the resurrection of hope. That's the main tomb that's empty, and there's a whole row of other ones that are empty behind it. Hope. Not hope that suffering is going to pass me by in the future, because there's a high likelihood that I'm going to have to bury some other things in this lifetime. 
In fact, it's a guarantee. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I have hope that in all these things that have happened, that are happening to us, and that might happen in the future, that we are more than conquerors. Because I'm convinced now that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or future or any power, height or death or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus that is ours. Because what does his love do? It binds up the brokenhearted. It proclaims freedom for the captives, releases the prisoners from darkness, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, praise instead of a spirit of despair. That is the work of God in me. That is my resurrection story. So if you see me in the back of the room during worship, and I'm trying not to be too distracting, but I'm getting a little crazy and excited. It's because I know and I've tasted and I've seen that God is good. And he's not just good for me. He's good for all of us. Let's worship.